0: G'day, and welcome to episode 85 of the Nerd Culture Podcast. My name is David, and with me are my mates, the Fair Dinkum NCP crew, Richo. G'day, coppers. Luke. That's not a knife.
1: And Crystal. Richo's on my line, I don't know any other Australianisms. I know, that's pretty uh, sad. So.
2: You could go with Shelby Apples, or... Um, apples? What else do we supposedly fair say? Fones
1: a mate, how do you cook a galah? <laughs>
2: there you go. Fair suck of the sandwich? <laughs> throw it, throw it, throw it. <laughs>
3: That never
1: sounds right here. It's the, into it the Australian
3: spirit of nerd. It should be like, last, the V8 Interceptors. Something like that.
2: Very cool, very cool. May the you force could, be with you. Right. You could say um, <laughs> you could say throw another shrimp on the barbie, even though Australians don't call them shrimp. <laughs>
1: or
0: <laughs> put an, them on barbies. Unless you're yeah. like a pretentious <laughs> Sydneyer. Throw another prawn on the barbie. Throw another prawn um, so, obviously, as, as you can tell, that for this episode, we're going down under. We're uh, embracing <laughs> embracing our Australianism. You might want to rethink. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sticking with it. Um, so, we're uh, we're going to be covering uh, a bunch of Australian content for this episode because I thought, you know, why not? We love our country. Mm. We should embrace it in a, nerd, in a nerdy way.
1: Our brown land.
0: Our sunburnt
1: country. A land of sweeping suns? No, sweeping plains. <laughs> I know we're
2: girt by sea. <laughs> I don't know what girt means. anybody but... here actually seen the second verse? No. 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 I don't
1: even want to see the first <laughs> proves verse. Proves we're truly Australian. <laughs> well, I reckon.
2: I reckon more Australians... Could sing the complete version of Waltzing Matilda that they could sing.
1: And and the original version. Or certainly they could sing Working Class Man. I do like Adam Hell's version of um, Australian anthem to the tune of Working Class Man.
2: I say we make make Down Under the National Anthem. Everybody knows that song.
1: (laughs) Written by Scott. (laughs) Uh, uh,
2: So
0: for the first half, we'll be covering our patented five minute popcorn junkies, uh, all based on Australian films. And for the second half of the show, by popular demand, the return of our top fives. Uh, This particular topic, we'll be talking about our top five Aussie TV shows.
2: That's right. You spoke and we listened. You love our top fives and you love us and we love you.
3: Love us all With all us. our hearts. What happens if you just love your top
2: five? Uh, well, that's fair enough. I feel um, like Johnny, Johnny Young at the end of Young Taylor
1: time. <laughs> Close your Close eyes.
0: Your eyes is that on eyes. anyone's top five? Uh, no, no. <laughs> um, and uh, so, and just a slight change to the format of the top fives. We're actually going to each person's going to discuss their their actual individual top five. Um, choices I didn't do like a you know the ultimate NCP top five because one I couldn't couldn't be bothered bothered. yep and uh, (laughs) in a classic Aussie way I just couldn't be couldn't be stuffed mate she'll be right (laughs) (laughs) she'll be right and uh, more importantly just uh, there was just a lot of variety so I just I wanted everybody to get a chance Mm. to mention their stuff Uh, then of course we'll talk about our coming soon and thanks to our mates at madman entertainment we actually have a copy of the turning Uh, on DVDs. Uh, Tim Winton's The Turning which is a a recent Australian uh, film production based on his novel uh, to give away. So thank you very much Man Man Entertainment. We'll discuss uh, how you can win that DVD at the end of the show. So let's rev up our utes and move on to Popcorn Junkies.
1: (laughs) No, that's just wrong. least Australian podcast ever.
0: (laughs) Terrible. First up, we have Richo with Wake in Fright.
2: Yes, I've chosen Wake in Fright. Uh, it's an Australian movie from 1971, uh, which pushed it really in the like the absolute golden age of Australian cinema. Like we were just we were on fire through the seventies, just making one awesome movie after another, except Turkey Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> Don't see Turkey Shoot. <laughs> I'm telling you now, it's not one thing.
1: You know they're all going to look it
0: up now. Yeah, probably. Is it
2: technically
1: part of the
0: exploitation? Yes, yep, it is. Sort of Absolutely, Turkey shoot it is no, an exploitation. No, not. Not that piece of rubbish. Yeah, no, Waking Wake Fright. And Fright. It, it
1: puts it at the
2: early stages of the exploitation. Yeah. No, cool. um, but like I said, just the, the best period, I think, for Australian movies, beyond any shadow of a doubt. It's directed by Ted Kotcheff, who, interestingly enough, is actually Canadian. And you might remember him as uh, he went on to direct films like First Blood. Wow. Interestingly mm. enough. Um, and there's actually... I, I did not know. I, I, I see a lot of parallels between First Blood and Waking Fright. Yeah, you mentioned it, somewhere yeah. Wake in Fright tells the story of John Grant, who is played by actor Gary Bond, who is, ironically enough, uh, a bonded teacher insofar as he um, owes a certain amount of money to the education department and as such they can they can choose where to send him as a teacher um, until so far as he pays the money off like and then he can find his own schools mm-hmm. and, and go from there. So he's Does that been, concept still exist?
3: No, no oh, not at all. But it was very. It's like
2: having an indentured slave. Yeah, it was effectively that's what it was. It was yeah. you were you were bonded to the to the. Is that department. a real thing or made up for the show? That, no, it's a real thing.
3: Yeah. My mum, my mum, because after seeing this, I asked my mum who was a teacher, um, and she always said that's yeah, that's what happened. That's how you would yeah. end
1: up in Alaska. Mm. Yeah, they would send these people. <laughs> you're you're <laughs> obsessed with that bloody show. Back to Richard's movie.
3: So that's
2: where John Grant is at. At the start of the film, he's teaching at a tiny school in the middle of the desert. Yeah. Um, the school term ends, and he decides to make a trip to Sydney to visit his family. Unfortunately, he ends up one night at a town called Toon Gabba, which is based on an Aussie town called Broken Hill. Um, and they weren't too happy with the way they were depicted in this film, but we'll get to that later on. So he stops off at this town one night and um, visits the local pub and gets involved in a game of Two Up. Now, for all of our non-Australian listeners, Two Up is a... Semi legal. Uh, it's, it's not legal. <laughs> it's only legal on a street. It's, it's semi legal now. Certainly oh, back okay. then. It's it's kind of an Aussie tradition too. Up and involves tossing a couple of coins in the air and betting on whether they're going to be heads, tails, or a combination of the two. John wins uh, a pile of money playing this, and he's all excited about that, and um, goes back to his hotel room. But then gets this gets this idea in his head that if he goes back and wins more money. <laughs> That he can then pay off his bond and he'll be able to, you know, then live his own life.
0: Like a crazy
2: man. Like a crazy man. So, back he goes and naturally loses everything. <laughs> like, not even just the money he'd won, he loses basically all of his money. It's like a total disaster for him. And he finds himself stuck in this town. Now, this is an early 70s Aussie town. And despite what uh, the depiction of um, you know Aussie towns and things are in more modern films, Aussie towns are kind of weird. Like they're, they're, they're their own. they especially back in the 70s. They were their own worlds. They were bizarre. Like there was there was yeah because they were they were often isolated. John is is stuck in this town. With um, he befriends Doc Tiden, who is a alcoholic. And a weirdo, Um, but is played by the absolutely brilliant Donald Pleasance. With no means of escape, he kind of becomes embroiled in the town itself, and it's kind of hard to explain because there's nothing. It's not like the town is consists of you know serial killers or anything like that. It's just these people just have their own way of living, and it's a really bizarre way of living. And he, as an outsider, is. And I don't want to give too much away because what, what actually happens to him at this, um, in this town is incredibly harrowing, but what, what makes it so amazing is that it's just the way of life for these people. Like, they just don't see it as being strange at all. There is a very famous scene in the film, the, the most famous scene in the film, without any shadow of a doubt, is um, they take him on a kangaroo hunt. Mm. And it's basically a, a an absolute massacre. And the thing is... It's also real. Like this was an actual um, kangaroo hunt under controlled conditions by professional um, hunters, and the camera crew went out um, one evening with them and actually filmed the hunting. So the, the kangaroos you see getting killed are actually are actually being
1: shot and killed. So there was no no animals are harmed in this movie. Disclaimer. Oh no,
2: the animals were most definitely harmed in the making of this film. Uh-huh. But there's actually a um, there's a little disclaimer at the end of the film. That basically says, this is what happened. It was under control, controlled conditions. It was apparently quite a horrible experience for the for the crew as well. What amazes me is that this this movie is, is very real. Like, it's a very realistic depiction of these situations. This has actually become, very quickly, my absolute favourite Australian film. I give this five. Like I said, best Australian film I've ever seen. It's a ripper, mate.
3: <laughs> so Next up, we have Jan Luke and Breaker Morant. So I've taken as my text today on this um, uh, all-Australian extravaganza, a film set in South Africa and featuring an Englishman as the main character. Breaker Morant is released in 1980. It tells the story of um, Lieutenant uh, Harry, in vertical commas, Breaker Morant, uh, played by Edward Woodward, and two of his uh, younger officers, uh, Lieutenant Lieutenant Hancock, played by um, uh, Brian Brown, and Lieutenant George Witten, Played by Louis Fitzgerald, um, who are court-martialed during the Boer War. They belong to uh, an elite, um, uh, an elite corps um, formed to fight the um, the guerrilla Boers at the uh, towards the end of the Boer War when it looked like the Eng- English were winning. Um, however, they are court-martialed for um, war crimes against Boer, Bo- against, um, Boer war criminals, a uh, Boer war prisoners, sorry, and um, the murder of a German missionary. Um, caught up in the events of the time, it starts off with the court martial itself, and then proceeds through the um, the trial to um, to the end and the eventual resolution, um, revealing the truth as to, revealing the truth, but also the morality as to what's going on in the Boer War at the time. Um, they are represented by uh, Major by Major Thomas, played by um, uh, Jack Thompson. Um, directed by Bruce Beresford and based on uh based on a, based on a stage by, by Kenneth Ross which is in turn based on actual events. Um oh, Actually no, it's based on a book that claims it's based on actual events. Either way the truth this the story, the film <laughs> itself was actually marketed as a true story. It was, but it was based on the book um no, It's based on the, the film itself is based on a play. Yeah, and when the sta- play and is based, based on the book the called um uh, scapegoats for the empire, which which is, is written which was written by George Witten's character, yeah. in the late forties after the events of the it's after still the not event, proven. Though. It's still not proven, but the film itself, <laughs> okay, <good>. based <laughs> on a <the> play, which <laughs> claims to be based on a true story. Oh, um, controversy! <laughs> yeah, directed by by Bruce Beresford, and this is his sort of his breakout film. the it, The story on Facebook will t- to modern audiences will sound like something like a few good men. But unlike A Few Good Men, which follows Tom Cruise's, you know, attempts to be right and, you know, just and forthright, this is actually told more from the point of view of the people being court-martialed themselves and actually determining whether what they did was true, which of the, which, which of the charges actually sticks, and how much of this is an actual put-up job by the British military and the British government in an attempt to, A, bring the Boer War to a close... And B make ensure that the Germans who are Boer, who are um, sympathisers for the Boers um, didn't enter the fray to um, start going after diamonds and jewels and you know the the resources and the riches that was in South Africa you know at the time and still to this day. Um, so it's all about the way that truth and morality play a huge part in A how war is fought. Um, there was a lovely speech delivered by Jack Thompson um, halfway through in which he in an attempt to defend. Um, the decisions and the actions of um, Harry Morant talks about, you know, as a soldier himself, being asked to do things um, that an ordinary man in an ordinary situation would not do, and having to do that reluctantly because they were the orders that were given. And there's that's another big part of this, is how much of what they were given was direct orders, and how much of it was stuff made on their own, vol- own volition. Um, and it never really wavers from that a strong script, um, which can be a little stagey in, in certain respects, which is the origins of the stage show, uh, bolster some terrific performances. Um, the t- in particular, two ca- two actors, Edward Woodward, at the height of his um, fame, he'd just come off Callan and The Wicker Man, and was hit- was headlining this Australian film, but even he is out-acted by Jack Thompson. And this is mm-hmm. Jack Thompson's, yeah, finest moment. He's asked to carry a lot of emotional gravitas. Um, also, Bruce barford's rather you know, not laid back, but almost documentary style directing. Um, it never gets, in, never, it is never stylized, never gets in the way, and the horror of what's going on and the power of what's going on is allowed to come through visually as well. Um, this is one of the best films that Australia has ever done. Um, and coming really at the end of the greatest period in Australian filmmaking history, the 70s produced a lot of really good films like Wake and Fright, like. Um, news front, a lot of people will talk about Picnic at Hanging Rock. For me, break Morant in its attempts to um, talk about the way that we act overseas and the civilised manner which we conduct ourselves. And in spite of our larrikin nature, when we're asked to do it, we we really will dig our heels in and um, fight for what's right, or what we believe is right, but also stand up for ourselves as well. I give this film four and a half looks.
0: It was an excellent review. Um, Awesome. Thanks, Luke. Next up, we have Crystal and the Sapphires.
1: The Sapphires is a 2012 movie starring Chris O'Dowd, who you all know from the IT crowd. Um, Deborah Mailman, Jessica Malboy, Shari Sibbons and Miranda Tepsel. Um, directed by Wayne Blair. Uh, it's another war movie, but this one's set during Vietnam era. Um, starts out with the girls that are all little kids living out in the outback. Um, and what I like about the beginning of this film, it's not sort of a sort of shock in your face, this is the stolen generation, da da It's just, this is how life was back then, and they present it that way. So when the uh, officials come to the community, um, the kids told, scatter, run and hide, especially the whiter-looking kids, because they will steal the kids and take them to the city and place them with other families. And one of these girls do get caught, taken to the city, and she grows up away from her sisters slash cousins. They're all related somehow. It uh, moves forward in years. Obviously, they grow up. Dave Lovelace, played by Chris O'Dowd, comes to town. And he's, uh, he's kind of Was he judging the talent show.
3: He's a musician. He's a musician.
1: Yeah, and he's judging the talent show. He's judging the talent show. The girls uh, are actually in this talent show. They're doing country and western songs. That's what they like to do. But um, he sees some uh, potential in them. And... Uh, to cut quite a bit of a long story short they get the other girl who went to the city together and he teaches them how to play soul music and then decide to go on tour and then they go and do shows for the boys overseas um it's a really nicely put together movie lots of really good songs in there really well performed chris can sing that's really (laughs) really nice really nice (laughs) number he does at the end there um there's ups and downs in the movies. Uh, lots of lots of uh, good performances put in by the whole cast. I. It is just a really good. I was going to say feel good story, but it's not. It's a war movie. <laughs> it is. Well, it basically isn't really a war movie, it's more of a musical. So. It's, it's sort of, well, it's, it's, fun it's, it's a musical the in the, in the way that I like musicals. I, I hate musicals and they sort of have excuses to have the songs. So like yeah. They're walking down the street and all of a sudden they bat, burst into synchronised dancing.
0: The, <laughs> good morning, good morning. morning. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. So, but this one, the, the music fits in because they're actually performing for the troops. That um, There's there's some heartache in this and there's some happy moments in this. and, and the, Well, the, without spoiling it, I like the way it ends, but... I'll give would, this movie a four and a half looks.
2: I actually haven't seen the film, but would it be, say, more comparative with something like, um, say, Good Morning Vietnam? In no. Its tone, no. where it's actually, There's it's some no, bad but stuff, I, but there's also no. feel-good moments. It's actually more us like, us like Dreamgirls.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I wouldn't say brushed over, because the horror of all is there, but it's not dwelt on either.
3: Right, okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, because that would upset the tone of the film.
0: Exactly,
1: yeah.
0: Well, awesome. thanks, Crystal. Uh, next up is myself. Uh, and I'm going to be covering Tim Winton's *The Turning*. It was quite a major event for Australian cinema last year. Um, it's, it, uh, and it is a, a filmatic interpretation of Tim Winton's collection of short stories called *The Turning*, which uh, I haven't read. Um, so I was uh, very interested in uh, in seeing this film, mainly because it comprises a collection of 17 uh, sort of short films, uh, short segments, uh, all done by a different director. Um, and uh, different cast members, uh, which then combines to create the narrative of the short stories themselves. There's core uh, stories that involve um, the same characters as they progress through their life, uh, and there's a couple there's, there's a couple of sort of extra ones thrown in there as well. It was was made in conjunction with uh, quite a lot of uh, sort of important Australian film agencies, including the ABC and Film Victoria, and. It was released on ABC Television last year uh, in a shortened 90-minute uh, version, and th- which is why the uh, DVD that you- and Blu-ray that's released now uh, through Madman Entertainment um, actually has full-length cinematic version on it. Quite a good success in terms of- in terms of critical uh, re- reaction. Um, basically, it's it's a showcase of Australian film talent, and in that effect, it works beautifully. As I said, mentioned at the start, I haven't read uh, the the novel. In fact, I haven't read a single Tim Winton novel, which is an embarrassing thing to say uh, because he's quite popular in our country. Um, He's very well regarded uh, in literary circles. Um, So, but I actually intentionally didn't read it before watching the film because I wanted to see the the film version first, and then I'll I'll, now I'll go and, and read the novel. It's an interesting experiment. In this case, uh, as a, as a whole, I think it works quite well. There are a couple of of the the sort of short films that don't quite work for me um, as a viewer, but there are also uh, quite a lot of powerful ones as well. Um, each each section has its uh, has its own title. Uh, the one that actually doesn't work for me is called Immunity, uh, which comes like right towards uh, towards the end. I think it's like the third last one, and that's mainly because it's it's interpretive dance. It is the entire thing is. Uh, uh in- interpretive dance describing uh a shy young girl who's trying to make her way up the bus in order to sit next to um vic who is basically the main character of, of the movie um, it just didn't work for me at all i'm not too sure why i mean i'm just not a big interpretive dance type person plus i just don't think it really contributed to the story at all in any way i mean
1: the music was very nice yeah
0: but um it, at that at the time i just didn't really see the point um and that that is sort of part of part of the really the only sort of negative thing that I'd say about this film is that quite a lot of it is not explained to you, um, and that can work and and in some cases it can't work. And I think in this in this in the case of this film, if you hadn't already read the book, it, it, like myself, at sometimes I was actually quite confused as to what was going on. And the reason that is is because even though the narrative itself is fine. Is that, is that each segment is done by different directors and different actors, but that's actually meant to be the same character. Now the main character is Vic, um, who you actually see from childhood to adulthood, played by different people. And without a, without a backstory, without sort of without reading the novel, I actually at first didn't understand exactly what was going on here. And the reason that is is because when you very first meet Vic, uh, he's a young Aboriginal boy, and then in the next time you meet Vic, he's a Young Caucasian redhead boy, and then the next day we meet Vic. He's a teenage dark-haired, yeah, you know, dark-haired boy, and, and it actually took me quite quite a while to jowl that the uh, original Aboriginal boy at the start is actually Vic, um, and the edition, the DVD edition that comes from Madman is absolutely brilliant. um, is the one that will be will given away at, at later on in the show. Uh, it is a two-disc set, and it comes with a booklet. Now, without this booklet. I actually, would have been lost about halfway through the film. I actually had to grab the booklet, which I didn't want to do, but I had to do it because uh, you know about halfway through I, we see Vic again, um, in, uh which was actually my favourite section, which was damaged goods, and uh, I, I sort of read and realised that the young Aboriginal boy from the start is Vic. Um, now I just don't think that works in terms of a cinema experience. I mean, I actually, I'm I'm very I'm very steadfast in my belief that if you make a adaptation of a novel or short story or whatever what have you, then you need to make it with the understanding that the people may not have read the book. and without reading the book, I didn't understand what was going on and that that hampered my enjoyment of the film. It really it really until I got to damage goods, I was actually kind of bored. Then I got into it and you know was was blown away. And even though I don't think the different actors' sort of aspect of it uh, really works. The actors that are, that portray those characters are magnificent, just to a group. Every single one of them, absolutely brilliant. It's an important film, and uh, I really I want I want every everybody to see it. Not just every Australian should see it, but uh, just just fans of good Australian filmmaking should see it. Which is why I'm so glad that we're giving away giving one away to somebody. It's not perfect, but it's. The flaws uh, are basically of, of my own, or my, my own opinion. Other people, of course, do think that it is um, absolutely make the magnificent achievement that it is. And uh, I give it four-hour for looks. Nice. It's a long way to the shop if you want a Chico Roll, so let's move on to our top five Aussie TV shows. Oh, damn. <laughs> So, as usual, we'll start with Richo, and
2: he's top three. <laughs> <laughs> this guy. Yeah, I really struggled with this list, I must admit. There's, there is a lot of good Australian TV shows out there. I freely acknowledge that, but um, there's not a lot really that stand out for me and say, these are the shows that are just awesome and that I just love to watch. So, I came up with three instead of five. Um, I could have slotted in a few others and talked about those, but re- re- really, these are the shows that I, I just really love to watch. Um, yeah, so my number three show is a show called Life Support, um, which aired on SBS. It was basically a fake um, lifestyle show, uh, probably most famous now for having a young Abby Cornish in it. But what I loved about this show, especially, it's, uh, I should point out, especially its first season, the the later seasons got a little bit watered down, but its, it's first season is incredibly confrontational and in some respects politically incorrect but in being politically incorrect what it what it actually does with its lifestyle stories is actually paint a picture on some of the issues that australia was dealing with at the time so things like um uh aboriginal rights uh gay rights the depiction of um the asian community in australia all all of these things come up and they come up in a horribly politically incorrect way But like I said, they're using that to actually shine a spotlight on these issues and bring them to the forefront. Um, At the same time, it is a very funny show and absolutely ludicrous um, at times. But um, like I said, especially on that first season, just pure comedy gold. My number two show, I I tossed up between the two here, uh, between my my one and two, because they're both brilliant and just spotlight how good Australian television can be. But my number two show is a TV series called Frontline. Starring Rob Sitch and put together by the uh, working dog people who were the degeneration for any Australians who know that comedy group. Um, and it's basically um, a, a mockumentary series about a, a bad current affairs show. Which And it's absolutely bumbling, incompetent host who knows absolutely nothing about what he's reporting on. But um, that's where a lot of the comedy lies. Um, in that he sees himself as a hard-hitting journalist when in fact he's just not. Um, but once again, this show really just spotlighted all of the the hypocrisies and, and problems that they, these kind of shows have. And just how awful they really are deep down. Um, and how much of a, a grab they make for ratings and things like that, whilst being absolutely hilarious. And for me, the most, the big standard thing for this too, no laugh track. All right? It just presents it, and it's up to you to work out what you think is funny. But this show is gold, like absolutely brilliant. But my number one show had to go to a series called Phoenix, um, which was a 90s Australian police drama that at the time, was like absolutely nothing I'd ever seen on television before. This was, the, this was the kind of police drama that Americans do now with things like The Wire and, and those sort of shows. Um, but this was so ahead of its time. It's just amazing. It's so realistic in its depiction of what, of what, of what police go through. Um, it's, a, it's a full-on show at a time where shows like that didn't exist. And watching it again now... It still stands up. It still it has stood the test of time brilliantly. Did you continue on and watch Janus? Yes, Janus is also excellent, and that actually mm. probably I probably should have included Janus as well. But I kind of see them as one. They're, they're one. One ongoing show: Phoenix, Phoenix two, and then into Janus, just as, as one uh, 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 as one piece of a great ever of ever a, of a whole, you know. Oh. Um, but to, to me, as far as Australian drama goes, uh, Phoenix is the absolute pinnacle of what we've produced.
1: You say it's
2: better than water Rats. I'm Ooh. saying it. I'm saying it, it stands on top of water Rats. and punches water Rats in the face, and water Rats goes down. <laughs> I've got a, I've got
3: a good, I've got a water Rats type, type show on my list as yeah, well, right. and that more light-hearted. Yeah, go. cool. Uh, so next up we have Luke. Um. Okay. So I do have a top five. Uh. But number five for me is a mini series that we did called Blue Murder. Um, which came out in the early to mid '90s, and it concentrated. It was it concentrated on um, on the criminal underworld and police corruption that was existing in Sydney in the uh, mid to late '70s into the early '80s. P- so host of people, including Richard Roxburgh, and probably what was his finest finest role. But this was. Uh, <laughs> he's El Matthew McConaughey. He is. To be um, fair, he's
2: better at Australian stuff than he mm, is in. American he is better stuff. at Australian
3: stuff. Um, but this was pretty hard-hitting, but also gave an intriguing look into what was actually going on in the criminal underworld at that point, and how things had progressed, and did it in a way that Underbelly wishes it could do. Not glitzy, not glamorous, but getting to the heart of the story. Mm-hmm. Number four is Good Guys, Bad Guys, with Marcus Graham as retired cop Elvis McGuinness, who now runs a dry-cleaning factory, sorry, a dry-cleaning shop, who finds himself drawn back into police drama and the police cases, and people keep coming and asking him for help. Um, with their troubles, no matter how how hard he tries to distance himself from that, um, it was it's more of the uh, the light hearted, quirky end of the spectrum. It's not meant to be hard hitting at all, but at times it didn't um, shy away from being quite dramatic when it needed to be. Um, but it was overall a lot of fun and yeah, well acted. You know, reasonably well written. Um, that you know com- comes in between, say Phoenix and the Underbelly stuff that comes later on. Number three, I actually did have as Phoenix. Um, and for a lot of the reasons that Richard has already stated um, it's the best thing we've ever done and we've had many shows that try to do what Phoenix does before and since none of them have um, succeeded it doesn't have the character, the world building um, the level of depth that Phoenix does and also the variety as well trying to look at everything from undercover cops to what exactly the major crimes unit actually does do plus some terrific music terrific acting as well yeah. Um I get number two, it I had frontline as well. Um, for all other reasons again that Rucho stated. We, it's one of the best satires we've ever done. Performances are excellent. Rob Stitch particularly is Mike Moore. Mike Moore almost became an iconic Australian character in his own right for at least three for two seasons, with the third season being okay if not brilliant, um, but is a standout of Australian comedy and has only been better, in my opinion, by my number one, which is a show called Grassroots, which is a look at um, Australian... Uh, a look at how Australian local councils are run. But unlike, say, a documentary like Rats in the Ranks, which is looking at an actual council, this was fictionalising it, um, and gave us the uh, the wonderfully political, but wonderfully charming uh, Mayor Cole Dunkley, played by Jeff Morrell, as he tries to enact his, his big plans for the, um, the community that lives in Arcadia Waters, but having to, you know navigate circumnavigate that against you know his political rivals the business rivals who actually want to you know take him down as well very well shoot written by jeffrey atherton who wrote mother and son um but is far and away above that staple of australian tv this is the one of the best comedies we've ever done um, and is my personal favorite nicely
1: done luke that was was very 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 good okay next up is crystal just before I give my top five list, I wanted just to just uh, give a recommendation to anybody in the audience out there, especially US people who are into HBO series. There's a, a, a Australian series called Redfern Now, I think it's been into its second series. It's highly regarded, really good quality drama uh, along the HBO sort of vein, So. Sort of. Uh, look out for that one.
0: Did you get paid for that plug? I, don't,
1: I did not get paid for that Was that it, plug. Was it Cash, for, cash for, for... No, I believe, for, believe it's SBS uh, <laughs> production, so I don't have much money. Uh, number five on my list is Good News Week. It's Good News Week! Um, <laughs> good News Week started out on the ABC, hosted by Paul McDermott, formerly of uh, Doug, Anthony, Doug Anthony All-Stars yeah. fame. Consisted of a f- fairly much like Specs and Spect, actually. Two two teams. Uh, one team captained by Mikey Robbins. Mikey Robbins, the other one, Julie Macrossan. Later on, moved across to Channel 10, and was still quite a good show at that point, but it sort of became more of a variety show, um, where originally it was just a, a panel sort of queer show, but where Specs and Specs was music, this is more news and current affairs, hence the name, good Newsweek. Um, quite funny, lots of witty banter and dialogue, which is yeah, mm. something I quite like, and I really like Paul McDermott's... Paul McDermott's... <laughs> mcdermott paul, <laughs> mcdermott paul mcdermott's acerbic style um when it moved to channel 10 it it became as i say a bit more of a variety show uh, it was still really entertaining uh they brought flacco and the sandman with them um lots of cool little uh interjected pieces there in the later years it got a bit wearing um, it sort of went away and then it came back without Julie McCross and I think it was Corinne Grant.
3: No it was Claire Cooper Claire, Claire Cooper. Hooper.
1: That's Claire Cooper yes that's right Claire Cooper which she's fine she's funny um, but uh, the show sort of had jumped a shot by then I would, I would say um, moving on to my number four show which is it? funnily enough Spicks and Specs uh, the, the, quiz, the music quiz show from the ABC based on the um, British never mind the Buzzcocks Having actually seen Neverbu- Buzzcocks finally, I do prefer Spix and Specs. It's got a bit more variety. Buzzcocks seems to have the same game every week. I don't know if that's happened season by season, but from what I've seen, it has the same games every week.
3: Um, and also from, because I've seen one of the Buzzcocks, it doesn't move as fast as Spix and Specs. No, yeah. it,
1: it, it takes a good half the show just to get the first question out. But um, So that can happen on Spix and Specs too, but not always. It, it, it's a bit more fast-paced uh, moving. Uh, Spix and Specs finished in and. I believe yeah. um, and it's just been recently resurrected the new style hosted by um, Josh Earl with team captains
0: Ella
1: Hooper, Ella Hooper and Adam Richards uh, it, it's finding its feet uh, Josh it's, it talks a little too fast I think if he's once he slows down a bit and Adam's laughs just <laughs> uh, I like Adam a lot but the laugh it's really yeah irritating <laughs> yeah. i did forget to mention that the original Speaks and specs hosted by adam hills and the team captains were alan Bro and mm. um, The
2: i think the problem with the new show is that, that they're trying to write dialogue that adam hills could just deliver flawlessly yeah, i'd seen
1: the same they need they need yeah. to write for the new horror. the I same think. sort of writers yeah because yeah. adam
2: hills just did it with ease and this this guy doesn't quite have that when
1: josh <laughs> Josh uh, goes off script and he just comes out with off the cuff comments they're quite funny yeah So I think you're you're on the money there. Um, Moving along to my number three, Sea Change. Sea Change, I originally started watching back when I was at university because my teacher burst into the class one day and said, you've got to watch this new show called Sea Change because my friend Kevin's on it. And funnily enough, her friend Kevin was on it. Kevin Harrington, who plays, I think, Kevin in the yeah. <laughs> show. Um, and A her, classic
0: uh, of Australian actually, TV where the actors yeah. just use their real name. So
1: so my teacher Mary becomes my first link towards Kevin Bacon. <laughs> <That> way, <because laughs> Kevin Harrington... Um, went on to be in the dish, and we'll move on from there. But anyway, Sea Change. Sea Change is uh, Australia's own northern exposure, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Um, you get uh, the main character, Laura, who's a big-time city law- lawyer. If you can call a Melbourne lawyer a big-time city lawyer. Well, she was big-time <laughs>
2: yeah. in Melbourne.
0: big-time, <laughs> big-time Melbourne. Time city, thank you very much. Um, her
1: family's <laughs> starting to fall apart because her husband's a cheating so-and-so yeah
2: not nice person not
1: nice person <laughs> no um so uh you know things start to fall apart she decides to pack up with the family um and move to a place called pearl bay which is actually in real life bar Hills, yes. mm. um and she becomes the town judge and Hijinks since <laughs> you it's, it it's quite a nice heartwarming quirky little show and if you like northern exposure and you like sort of quid, qu- quirky British sort of stuff then you'll like sea change David's shaking his head at me can't kind of stand that sort of stuff it has, it has a real charm it. to it it I does think. it's a really nice charm and the, the most charming thing was the sort of uh, sort of late 90s computer graphics ending <laughs> it looks really bad now Um, moving on to number two Hey Hey It's Saturday That had to be on somebody's list didn't it Um, Hey Hey It's Saturday started out life I believe the year before I was born as a children's morning show and uh, in the early 80s became a, a, a Saturday night variety show um, well, they did change the name briefly to Hey Hey a Saturday Night but then realised Hey Hey a Saturday works just as fine so they oh. went back to Hey it's hey, it's hey It's Saturday hosted by Daryl Summers and his puppet sidekick Aussie Ostrich who came along from the morning show so I guess it didn't seem unusual to us to have a kids puppet hosting a tonight show. Really, mm. it's just that's the yeah. way it was. Um, it had classic segments like Red Faces, which is uh, you, you got you, you probably Australia's first mean judge, Red Simons, True. who yeah. um, people may know from the band Skyhooks.
2: He was like a precursor um, to Simon Cowell. That guy, yeah. he was yeah, except nasty, he wasn't so.
1: really outright nasty. Nasty no, people no. took it with the spirit that was given, uh, and Red Faces, you know, pr- did produce a few. People who went on to do stuff like the the lead singer from the band 1927, who was quite big there for a little bit in the late 80s. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, yes, and then, then moving on to my top show, The Adventures of Lane and Woodley, starring Frank Woodley and Colin Lane. Uh, Australia's Australia's uh, <laughs> David's going pear. He doesn't like Colin Lane. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Australia's uh, top comedy duo for for like 20 years. They lasted for 20 years. They had their little TV show that basically character tours of themselves they were living together in a little flat in inner city melbourne um and it's just just a funny funny show um it's just uh, you've got two not very bright men frank uh, colin <laughs> thinks he's brighter than frank but not really when well, you come out with lines like uh, you're so superfluous i'm going to use he that thinks, myself in the future. Like, i don't think you quite know what that word means um it, it's just Really funny. I mean, you got some episodes better than others, obviously, but uh, it's a really funny show. Really good lines, and Frank Woodley just hilarious. My favourite line of the show, that I, I can't actually remember what they were talking about, but Colin says to Frank, "Well, frankly, he's going, don't drop the wood. What? Don't drop the wood. It's part of my name. <laughs> frankly, Frank, don't drop the wood. It's <laughs> part of my name." <laughs> anyway, that's on Woodley,
0: my top Australian TV show of all time. Well, Sam, so my top five Aussie TV shows, just before I go into my, my top five Aussie TV shows, the reason I didn't really talk about it at the start, but the reason I wanted to talk about this sort of stuff is because of the wealth of, of Australian good Australian TV that we have I actually didn't didn't realize just how much we had until I was researching this segment like I, I mean like everybody here I grew up watching a lot of American TV um and uh at first I thought it was going to be quite hard uh to pick a top five although it was hard for Richo but you know that's that's Richo way. but uh that's no, so, um, so yes yeah, so, I I mean if to give you a you know I could I could Named top, top, uh, five American TV shows instantly, but um, five top five by top five Australian was was, was quite quite difficult. Um, and, but researching it, I found just how much good Australian TV shows there are. Just how mm-hmm. it's just brilliant, brilliant stuff. Um, so it was it was quite hard for me to do my top five. Um, but uh, you know I had to, had to do it. So here we go. Uh, number five, I had the Paul Hogan show. Uh, yeah my, my my honorable mention would be the the Grand Kennedy Show, which uh, the Paul Hogan show just nipped in the bud, and the reason that is because one it was bloody, hilarious, and it came out during a time where where I was quite young and probably shouldn't have been watching it <laughs> so, uh, but I was I was allowed to watch it, which is cool but and its you know it was, it was an Australian Australian sort of comedy variety type show of of course Paul Hogan, and uh, Paul Hogan for me. I mean I've never met the man personally but he's, he's Paul Hogan sort of to me is the 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 ultimate Australian man. I mean he's he basically <laughs> he basically worked on he worked on the Sydney Harbour Bridge you know he gets his own comedy show then then you know Crocodile Dundee and you know he is he is the man that he is. Um you know I'm not talking about his own his personal life what, you know I don't agree with everything he does but he just I mean just he just basically embodies Australia to me um and to a lot of a lot of people around the world. So that's why the Paul Hogan show had to go in there. It was uh is great, great stuff. Uh, the other reason I wanted to put a Paul uh, Hogan show on was because it actually traumatized my childhood. They actually had a skit that I remember vividly, um, and for me is a is a pretty big thing because my memory's terrible. But uh, they had a skit where Paul goes to go to the toilet and uh, he lifts he lifts the the toilet lid, and there's a piranha in there, <laughs> and it jumps out and attacks him in that classic way that you do. You know, where you're actually holding the the puppet to your neck and sort of attacks him and kills him. And that traumatised me for years. Like, basically, every time I went to the toilet, which in Australia is actually an important thing. When you go to the toilet in Australia, you have to check the toilet because there could be a redback or something living there. Um, so, it, for, but for years, I actually I actually had to check and, I, you know, I had a stick that I lifted the lid up so that it, if there was something there, it wouldn't jump out and grab me. So, that'll give you an idea. Is
1: that why you leave the door open?
0: That's Wiley the door. it's <laughs> <That's why laughs> the
2: toilet seat up in now, case, so they can, can see in right. there without having to lift it with the stick.
0: <laughs> anyway, gold. Uh, so my number four was the Curiosity Show. Curiosity. Um, the Curiosity. You're gonna, we're going to find that most of mine are going to be stuff from my childhood. Um, now, the Curiosity Show was a, a, an Australian educational children's show, um, which ran from 1972 to 1990, um, and actually had real professors and doctors hosting it. Mm. Uh, which is just brilliant, and uh, I guess the, the closest equivalent is uh, to America would be the, the Bill Nye the Science Guy, mm. sort of deal. Mm. Dean um, Hutton
1: actually appeared on Hey Hey Saturday as too.
0: Yeah, so it was basically a, a kids a kids Cosmos, I suppose, and uh, Professor Rob Morrison and Dr. Dean Hutton. Yeah, and it, it went for bloody ages. It was like it was like over five hundred episodes or something like that. It was ridiculous, but basically what it, essentially what it was is uh, ex- experiments. Science, so a, a real science experiments done in a in a kid friendly way, so so that you could learn about science and, and the world around you, um, in a, in an entertaining way, and it had you know an awesome intro.
1: Curiosity. And that guy had the best beard. Sure. And he had an awesome yeah, beard. He he have have those you have a beard. There's no moustache, just the beard. Yeah. So, like,
2: like, I will. I will say though, um, as a kid, trying to recreate some of those experiments <laughs> didn't quite go according <laughs> to plan. <laughs> my my science kit was impressive, but. Occasionally you'd put the wrong things in by mistake and more harrowing things would happen in the experiment. <laughs> I can, I can, I, can I can
0: afford a, a science kit. I just had uh the cleaning and the clean detergents from underneath the sink and uh yeah, accidents happened. Yeah. But
2: uh, <laughs> But that was the power that the, that the power show had over fair. us. <laughs> a
0: must watch. Uh number three, uh was blankety blanks. Oh dear god (laughs) I I absolutely adore this show And I can't really explain to you why It is a staple of my childhood Whereas um, I was too young to watch it When it was originally on But I watched it in in reruns It was rerun to death It It only lasted two seasons Um, It was going to go for longer uh, But um, the host Graham Kennedy Who I think is a comedy god uh, Decided not to go on I'll basically explain blankety blanks It's, it's, It's a game show which you know you got to think it's kind of weird to have a game show on your top five TV shows. But it was based on an, America, an American TV show called Match Game, um, but then you know changed changed slightly for it. And it was basically involved Graham uh, Graham as the host uh, and a selection of panelists, celebrity panelists. It's celebrities at that at that time period, uh, which was the seventies. Not frown. Yeah. It's so it was uh, 1970, 1977 and 78 and one of those panelists was Ugly Dave Gray, um, who I just I just adored because. I mean, who uses the word ugly in their actual stage name? It was Brit. And anyway, he was. He was. He was hideous. And, <laughs> and, you know, but God, he was funny. And Graham uh, had the rule that he got to pick all the panelists. So the only panelists that were on there were the ones he chose. And if, he, if they did a bad performance, he just wouldn't call them back again. So, which is, you know, magnificent. And, so, and, and Doug, ugly Dave Gray was, uh, was his friend. And um, when they asked him to do a season three, he asked Dave, his opinion, and Dave said, "Look, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm tired of the show. I don't want to do it anymore." And so, because Dave wasn't doing it, Graham didn't do it, and it's a it's a damn shame because this show is hilarious. He
1: was the king of television at that point. He could do whatever he wanted. He
0: was mm-hmm. Graham Kennedy, is just an Australian comedy legend, and in some of the some of the comedy, some of the comedy from this show, some of the stuff that he did, some of the gags. Just not safe for work type stuff, you know. What I mean? It was just really yeah, was all, they pushed it, the envelope. It was, a bit. it was
1: all innuendo, though. It was so all it, was all innuendo. Like it, it all got past the censor. And mm.
0: that is that's my favourite type of comedy was that sort of stuff. It was brilliant. Actually, it was actually broadcast at seven, seven or seven or seven thirty, I think actually, but. God it was brilliant. anyway. But uh, you know the, the the dick jokes and the pull it Peter jokes it's and Peter, Peter the Phantom Puller was very hilarious. And
1: deliberately tried to provoke Noyne Brown all the
0: time. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So yeah, if you ever if you ever get a you get a chance to see it on YouTube or something like that, do it. Brent, uh, my number two, uh, my number two and number one are actually uh, the same as uh, crystals have already mentioned. So my number two is Spicks and Specs. I do need to point out the original Spicks and Specs because the new one is rubbish. Um, well, that's give a bit it time. Harsh. It's give rubbish. It time. It's finding its feet. As attractive as Ella Hooper is, <laughs> she, she doesn't really know, know a lot of stuff. And the and Adam, is one, and like Crystal said, as much as I love Adam, it's only in very short doses that, I mean, that laugh just really gets to you. And I just I just yeah. don't think it's as good. Get rid
1: um, of the Paul the
0: And the original, the original wasn't perfect by any means. I actually can't stand Adam Hill. I actually don't think he's very funny at all. But Miff and Alan, which is brilliant. You know, and the interaction that they had—I uh, mean, especially because they knew stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just knew a ridiculous amount. Um, except, you know, myths, you know, faux pas. we not, all can, can never, like can never remember. Smells like teen <laughs> spirit But, um, but you know, the, and the guests, the guests were always entertaining, and, and it's just, and it just ran br- really, It was awesome stuff. Um, and we just watched. I mean, watch it. It's a staple of this household. That Although, we watch it every day.
1: That uh, guy from Desperate Housewives who did the substitute the other night that was probably the best substitute we've ever seen
0: yeah it involves in one of the games is substitute where you read a text that has nothing to do with what you're what you're singing and you actually have to sing the text you know to the tune of the song that you've that you've been given and sometimes it's hilariously bad mm. uh, uh, but sometimes it is just brilliant and uh, it's highly recommended and my number one is hey hey it's saturday which is the ultimate australian variety tv show it is it's amazing. Hey Hey Saturday to me is even though it was never it was it's not always perfect. I mean sometimes the episodes were actually pretty ordinary, um, but the fact that it was live it was awesome, um, and just the way it, it evolved through my life. I mean Hey Hey Saturday has essentially been running my entire life, and it's just, it's like The Simpsons is now for for you know the new generations. I mean there are kids today that have. Never knew a world without The Simpsons. To me, Hey Hey Saturday felt fa- Hey Hey Saturday felt that, and the fact that it went from a kids' morning TV show, which still had some risque kind of jokes in there, to eventually then work just naturally evolving to its uh, its its TV its its nighttime TV show. And once again, it was a, it's a it was a staple. I mean, people you would watch Hey Hey Saturday on the Saturday night. And then go out to you know clubbing and, and stuff like that. It's just it was just the way it worked. It did
1: weirdly move to a Wednesday night for some. Yeah,
0: they reason? did do a, they did do a sort of a uh, they tried to bring it back again kind of recently, and uh, it's sad to say that it wasn't very good. It
1: didn't really um, work. It
0: just didn't really work. Like uh, but, like a
2: lot of comedy, it was very much of its time, and yeah. when they brought it back, they were still trying to do the comedy of the past rather than try to. So it and, went for twenty
0: seven years, which is an achievement. And and I, I just I just want to reiterate again Crystal's point. The fact that there was a hand puppet on a nighttime adult TV show just amazes me, and it just wasn't weird at all. And of course, Dickie. you can't yeah, forget Dicky. as well as say yeah, there were actually two puppets. <laughs> yeah, there was, there was, Mr. There Summers, was Mr. Dickie. Summers. I mean, to the band. Dicky was absolutely great, and I don't know. It's just it amazes me this show, but this is it's a it's a must see. Please check it out on YouTube if if you if you can, and just and just see. Just how good Australian comedy could be. I mean, it's right up there with Frontline for me. I mean, Frontline also would have been in my top five, but these guys had it as well, so I decided not to chuck it in there. It would be an honourable mention. But it's just... God, we're funny. And these these shows prove it. Just like this podcast person. (laughs) Okay, so moving on to Coming Soon. In cinemas April 3rd, we get Ernest and Celeste, The Lego Movie which has been released in the States ages ago, and I've already seen, and uh, I highly recommend it. Hilarious. And Captain America, The Winter Soldier, mm. which I'm very excited about. You're the only no. one, apparently. <laughs> not really. I'm very excited. Well, I've probably be, said be wrong, been burned not by really. the first
1: Captain America film. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, Having said that, different writers,
2: different director. Uh, it's got um, better reviews. Yeah. Um,
0: but yeah, so it's just a just very, very quick uh, Lego movie review. It's awesome. See it. Four out of five looks. So back to uh, from what we were talking about before with the uh, five our second junkie, our five second junkie. Nice.
1: Um,
0: yeah, so back, so back, so back to what we said uh, at the start with the giveaway. So thanks to the awesome people at Madman Entertainment, we actually have a DVD copy of The Turning to giveaway uh, Four out of five, it's a must watch. Um, all you have to do to win is email or tweet us the answer to this question: Who are the awesome people that supplied us the copy of The Turning to give away? Answers need to be in by midnight, April 12th, Eastern Standard Times. Uh, international entries are welcome. Um, I'm happy to send it to you. Uh, but please be aware that it is Region 4. Um, so as long as your DVD player can play it, that'd be awesome. And that's it for episode 85, mate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> God, I suck at being Australian. How terrible is that? <laughs> I just, I mean, it's, it, Oh, jeez, I just... I. Oh, I'm embarrassed actually. I actually had to Google some Australianism this is, just, this is <laughs>
3: terrible anyways so that's it for me and the crew Richard uh, we kicked some sausage rolls on this episode guys and Luke I claim myself now as an honorary New Zealander <laughs> the opposite New and,
1: and it's goodbye live from the Channel 9 studios at 22 Benigo Street Richmond
0: nice nice how that's did you remember so, that
1: it, it soaks into your noodle wow <laughs> Jeez,
0: that's memory
1: <laughs> bye
2: bye now
0: so the the many varied ways that you can contact us our website www.nerdculturepodcast.com email at feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com
1: facebook facebook.com forward slash nerdculturepodcast twitter at nerdculturecast
0: you can also skype us uh, on nerdculturepodcast and you can rate and review us on itunes and subscribe to the podcast and don't forget, we also have our Amazon affiliate widget on our website that uh, you can go, use to go through and purchase things through Amazon uh, with your own with your own account. It doesn't cost you anything extra, but we get a, a, a slice of the profits and um, a very small slice, but a slice nonetheless. It makes uh, us happy, and uh, which you know helps us uh, produce the show and uh, various other stuff. But also, it's just it's awesome. So uh, if, uh, if you could use that, that would be awesome. And thank you for listening.